I think the two key things most people have to work on are communication and emotional intelligence because it affects every part of our life from the time we wake up in the morning to how we approach our day to how we drive to work and how frustrated or happy we are in all that traffic and then when we get to work and we deal with people that might not always be doing it exactly the way we want to. Emotional intelligence follows you from your first thoughts of the day to when you go to sleep. I was on a mission to find out what EQ was. I uh, actually confused it with a men's magazine. EQ stands for emotional intelligence. Is that the secret to project and business success? I sat down with Brenda Williams, business coach specializing in communication and emotional intelligence, and Fred Miller, VP of Product and Project Management at Denali Federal Credit Union, to find out. You can't affect organizational change without emotional intelligence, because the only way you're going to get organizational change is through your teams. And if your teams don't buy into what you're saying, then you're not going to get whatever it is you want. I'm Margaret Campbell, and you're listening to Not Your CEO's Insights, and each episode you'll hear fresh perspectives on topics in tech, project management, and everything in between. So my thought of where I wanted to start, Brenda, was what's your definition of emotional intelligence, also abbreviated EQ? What does that mean What when people throw that buzzword around? Well, the formal definition is emotional intelligence is the ability to recognize our own feelings and the feelings of others, for motivating others and for managing emotions well in ourselves and our relationships. But in the real world, what that means is being more self-aware, learning how to control your emotions to meet the given situation, and then being able to look at people around you. Some people will say, well, I've got my emotional intelligence mastered. Well, what about the people around you? How are they responding? And so then it's about the social awareness and managing the dynamics of those relationships. Okay, so this is not about am I allowed to cry at work or not? (laughs) No, it's not. I think it's about the given situation and what makes the most sense to get you where you want to go in life, personally and professionally. Okay, so the emotional intelligence that I'd bring to a party or a sporting event is or is not related to the kind of emotional intelligence I bring to work? Well, that depends on how much you've mastered it. (laughs) Some some people learn how to, let's call it uh, mask, or um, be more consciously aware when they're in the workplace. So I think that, uh, you know, the dynamics of how people show up and most people have learned, it, it might not help me to cry in this meeting. So I think it depends on who you're with and does it make sense. You know, and there's a lot of emotions. You have positive emotions and you have negative emotions. When you tie them into the workplace, they're both important. If you if you walk around being stubborn and critical and, and fussy, you know, you're going to have challenges. That's called low emotional intelligence. But if you're enthusiastic and you're very energetic, Um, and you learn how to use positive emotions to show excitement, um, that can really help people, both project managers and leaders, to be more effective in what they do. So that makes me think of, Fred, one of the first things you told me about the primary uh, roles of project managers. We always think of the PMI or the PMBOK telling us that it's about 
rules and vocabulary and scheduling, but I've heard that you have a different thought on where the project manager has the biggest impact on the project success. Well, yes, I do. And, uh, you know, when we got started way back, Margaret, I kept telling you the project management is, is more communication, communication, communication. That is the only way that you're going to be able to articulate to your teams what we're doing, why we're doing it, and be able to guide them from point A to point B. Um, so, you know, since you and I have met four and a half years ago, I've had over a hundred projects, which means that's a hundred different teams that I've had to put together in order to accomplish certain goals and objectives that the credit union has had. And everybody's different. They bring different skill sets. They have different emotions. They have a different life. And one of my responsibilities in guiding the team is to understand where they're coming from, what their, what their motivations are what their skill sets are and 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 being empathetic to the fact that being a project manager i'm a change agent and a lot of people do not like change and i have to be aware of that as well we will be right back after this quick break you've got project documents everywhere you're probably still using excel and still tracking email threads sound familiar Try PI Team, Project Insights' free project management solution disrupting the way work is managed and empowering teams everywhere. Sign up free today at projectinsight.com forward slash team. So would you say that you're usually a direct manager of any of these resources on your projects, or is someone else usually their direct manager, but yet you're responsible for the outcome for the project? It, it, from, from a project management perspective, it's very rare that they're a direct report of mine. Right. Um, I'm usually getting those resources from other areas in the organization, and we have competing resources. Uh, you know, and I have, may have multiple projects going on simultaneously, and using the same some of the same resources for different for different uh, uh, projects and different outcomes. One of the things I've been real fortunate about with my teams here is that we are very collaborative, and so when we can articulate where we're headed and what those benefits are, people are motivated to success. When you have success, it, it kind of breeds more success. People want to be a part of something that's successful. Oh, okay. Because where I was going with that question was we kind of have this boss-employee relationship that if my boss tells me to get this done on time, I have to do that. Um, but for a project manager, there has to be a little bit more emotional intelligence involved because you don't just get to do the whole, I'm your boss and I need this done by Friday. There's a lot other for, of other factors that have to go into that. So um, Brenda, real quick, that sounded like that positive energy you were talking about or that positive emotion where success breeds success. Is that sort of just start there? Is that the basics of where you can get, ex get your team excited? I think absolutely. Passion and enthusiasm uh, is part of what a project manager has to bring. I mean, you have to take a whole group of people and like Fred said, you're a change agent and not everybody is excited about the new technology or the new change that's occurring. Mm. So influencing them, inspiring them and motivating them is, is part of what makes the project manager successful. At the same time, it's reading and understanding your audience, that social awareness piece understanding where they're at, getting the pulse on what's really happening behind the scenes. And not everybody always comes to a meeting and says, I'm not excited about this project. 
<laughs> but if you can figure out and understand your audience pretty quickly, you know how to approach them and you know who you need to spend more time with, who you need to motivate and how. Um, and you know, you're able to really apply um, those positive emotions to get people more ambitious, to get their buy-in, you know, to create that more uh, persuasive environment where people collaborate more effectively. And emotions are a big part of that. And also controlling any frustration because sometimes it can be challenging when people aren't ready to jump on the bandwagon and they're not as excited as you are. So Fred, it sounds like you've been working on this for a while. All the time that you were thinking you were just working on communication, 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 did you know you were employing emotional intelligence this entire time? I'm sure I didn't think that. I just brought my who I am to the job. I've done this before in other organizations to try to fix problems. And I've known all along, it's all about the team. Every project, I can't do it all by myself. And so I have to get buy-in with my team and then understand who gets the credit. Um, I'd love to celebrate successful projects because it is about the team. I think, Fred, one of the things that, that you and I resonate so well about is that it kind of comes naturally to us. Like, I never once thought that I was ever using emotional intelligence when I'm really listening to the person who's having a frustration or I'm asking a probing question to make sure that I'm not just taking what they're saying at face value. So I feel like it's almost this podcast is a little unfair to get you and me on the line trying to tell other people like, oh, it's just as easy as you know, being enthusiastic. Um, so Brenda, where would you say that the place is to start if you're, you're feeling like, I don't really know why the team isn't humming on all six cylinders, but I know I have to do something to get us back on track. Well, it's funny, you mentioned a couple things there that are actual workshops that I think I've even done for Project Insight on active listening and asking good open-ended questions. You know, you hit on two very important pieces of the puzzle. Um, but I think walking into any environment as a project manager or any type of leader or even a staff member, it's all about, like Fred said, understanding the team, getting to know them, but have an empathy along the way. Because not everybody always likes to do things the way you like to do it and the time frame you want to do it. And let's face it. Project managers have a schedule. They're under a, a you know a tight time frame. They've got things to deliver. Mm -hmm. And when the troops aren't rallying and they're not delivering because they don't report to you and it's not their number one priority, you know the first emotion is to have empathy. And I've been asked, what's the difference between empathy and compassion? Mm -hmm. Empathy is where you walk in their shoes and you understand where they're coming from. Compassion is where you're willing to do something to help them. And as a project manager, I think you need both because sometimes people need more help. They need more hand-holding. They need more information. Maybe they're out of their comfort zone. So I've worked with project managers for 20 years, and, and that's what we're looking at is what does the team need? So it's, it's really a project manager has a lot of different roles to play in getting that, that excitement going, but also being able to bridge that gap of, of not letting any frustration or or, or, you know, resentment hit when, when people aren't delivering. And Fred, when you started at Denali, you told me you had a plan for the first couple, I don't even remember how long, first couple months, maybe the first year. 
um, that before you were going to be an agent for change, your priority was going to be just to observe how it's working today and sort of realize what's working and when, what's not working. Well, you know, it's interesting you brought that up because it was four and a half years ago. I know, um, right? But, uh, yeah, um, what I was brought in to fix a problem, and, and our project management process at Denali was broken. Hmm. Uh, it was one of those where department heads were expected to be project managers as well. So they had not only to do their job, but also plan projects. And it was sort of a miscellaneous duty as assigned. Um, and so um, the organization took a, a real good look at that and, and felt that basically from an organization perspective, having a project management office and, and planning projects was the best thing for us, especially with the, the nature of projects and how many we had that were coming up. One of the first meetings I had with the executive management team, and this is part of getting buy-in, is kind of like getting to some sort of agreement. And I, asked, the first question I asked everybody in the in the room is that how many of you in this room feel that the project management process at this organization is broken? And everyone raised their hands. Ooh. And when you when you have that kind of consensus on just one question, you have a starting point where you can get it fixed and everybody wanted it fixed. And they saw how getting project management responsibilities off departmental heads day-to-day -day routine was going to be a benefit to them. So we talked a little bit about project managers as change makers. And Brenda, we talked a little bit about understanding that if something needs to change, the first step might be to just take a step back and observe and it'll practice a little bit of empathy. Um, for those people who realize that they want to change, I mean, first of all, there's business coaches like you, um, but also there's Fred's approach to just say, hold on, let's ask what's working and what's not working. What's your thought about making that change happen? Do you survey the team? Do you, like, because sometimes you need a pattern interrupt, right? Yeah, I think you need to understand the environment that you're in. I work with a lot of different companies as well as individuals. And the first thing I want to do is find out where each person stands. Mm -hmm. And one-on-one, -on -one, I find one-on-one -on -one is really important and really understand where they're coming from. And to implement change, the answer is different for each person. I mean, some people I coach and it's, it's a mindset. So there's different tools depending on what their challenges are um, because each person will have a different touch point of, of what they need to work on to have more emotional intelligence. And as a project manager, I find that Fred's spot on. You've got to understand who you're working with. You know, building that respect, that trust, that appreciation um, is all the first step. But then once you know who you're working with, figuring out what do I need to do to make the dynamics of this relationship work well. We'll be right back after this quick commercial break. Thanks for being with us for today's broadcast. Be sure to check out BrendaWilliamsA.com and connect with her through social media. While you are there, remember to sign up for her free leadership assessment and take a look at all the helpful resources. Again, that's BrendaWilliamsA.com. Join us next time as we share more on how you can become an influential leader. This program is sponsored by Brenda Williams, a world of opportunity. I'll ask a question for Brenda to get her opinion on this. I had a, an epiphany several years ago 
And it was, it was one of those epiphanies where words matter and words can change behavior. And, the, and let me use an example. Let's say somebody asks you, how are you doing today? There's a difference between fine or fair to middle and okay versus I'm great, I'm excellent. And so I noticed that people respond to me differently depending on the words that I use. So if somebody comes up to me, as Margaret did today, how are you today, Fred? I said, I'm excellent. And I believe that. And, you know, there are some days that even if I don't believe it, I can change it. What do you think about that? Well, I think you're absolutely on spot with that. It's about challenging our, our perceptions and how we're seeing um, the situation, what's happening around us. And, you know, energy leadership is one of my main programs where we focus on creating a mindset for success. And it's, it's challenging the thinking that you have. I mean, we don't all go to work every day and it's a perfect day. There's things that happen in our lives that can put us in a place where we're challenged and tested. So sure. first and foremost is how you interpret what's happening and, and challenge that thinking. Like you said, I can make it a great day. Um, and then the words for sure. A lot of people have said to me, well, how do I do this when I'm on the phone? And it's, it's tone of your voice. How fast do you speak? How excited are you? Are you speeding up? Or are you slowing down and being more empathetic? I mean, that takes practice. It sounds really simple, but it takes practice. Well, yeah, and you know, you touched on something that's really difficult in the project management space. I look at people's body language quite a bit. And so I, I really enjoy having project meetings in the same room with people, but that's not always feasible. And so having to get on to a go-to meeting and go through a project plan, a big aspect of my communication is gone. And so I have to pick up on tone and words and how they're being used. And sometimes that's difficult if it's the first time I'm, I'm speaking to somebody. But as I get to know my teams, I can pick up their attitude, how they're feeling, others, you know, all kinds of intangible information that I need in order to make sure that my team is running on all cylinders. But as I tell people, especially in my organization, especially on communication, it's practice, 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 and do it. What's really fascinating is, you know, you're in Alaska, we're in California, but I'm from Rhode Island on the East Coast. And, and how people like to communicate can change based on your demographics, the world you grew up in. Well, thank God you or Margaret can tell that while I'm speaking, my hands are uh, in the air and, <laughs> and speaking on their own too. And that, that is totally a question that I have about um, technology playing a part in this, that you know we kind of made a trend for doing a lot of things over video conference and thinking, well, we can all work remotely for each other, right? Fred, do you have experience using video conferencing and putting on the webcam? And do you get any success in that kind of checking body language when it's having to be remote? We do use webcams with remote branches and, and remote locations. It's helpful. I don't depend on it because sometimes when you're looking at a screen, you've got multiple screens. So it's hard to tell by individual because you're looking at a group kind of like in a tunnel. But, I mean, it, it's helpful to see, you know, that everybody's there and, and there's any, you know, cross-communication going on. But I, I don't really depend upon it. Yeah, for sure. And, Brenda, I know you mentioned with one of the conversations we've had in the past that it's a different conversation when you're uh, coaching someone in person versus via video phone versus via phone call. So is some of that reading body language and emotional intelligence or is it just the nature of the medium? I think, um, yes, it is reading body language and, and being able to see their facial expressions. And I've done it always. 
and all have been successful. But I will tell you, as of late, what I've noticed is that personal connection, when you can see somebody's face, I think you just feel more connected to them. And so one of the things I've been doing is a, a mix, a blend. If someone's, you know, in another state and they, they, um, they want to do mostly phone, I, I say that's great. But let, let's do a couple where we use the webcam where we can see each other because you get a different feeling. It's a, it's a deeper connection with somebody. But I think in today's world of technology, people have gotten prone to multitasking. So the video also helps to keep people's attention. Is EQ a, a recent trend or is technology having any part in why we're so fascinated with treating each other like people rather than like a voice at the other end of the telephone? Well, emotional intelligence has been around for many, many years. It goes way back. But we live in a faster world these days. There's more competition. Things move quickly with the internet. You know, we have to move fast. And when people move fast, they have to get out of their comfort zones because not everybody loves to move at warp speed. And there's a lot more to learn. There's a lot more to do. And that can press on people's emotional intelligence. So being constantly aware of, you know, what are my triggers? What causes me to be happy? What causes me to be impatient? So when you start doing your upfront work and you know yourself like an open book, um, once that is mastered, then it's looking at all the people around you and understanding what theirs are. Because for the go-getters of the world, their patients can get triggered. And for the analytical people, um, their need to have more facts and data gets triggered. And when their needs aren't met, their emotions can kick in. You know, I've, I've, I've started to see the trend um, and I've seen it being utilized from a, from a corporate perspective as one of those soft skills. I think we, we may see uh, more and more as uh, millennials come into the workplace. That generation is probably the, the one area where we're pushing emotional intelligence in the corporations. I love that point because um, I, we talk about that in our business all the time, being that it's tech and there's a lot of younger people here that Brenda mentioned earlier that emotional intelligence is, is really at its basics just understanding that we're people and we have emotions and we're not machines, but millennials have embodied that with, okay, I'm a person, which means I come with a family, which means I come with dem demands on my time that aren't necessarily my job. Um, it's just sort of redefining that basic understanding of what it means when we say we're all people, we're not machines. There are some people, especially in my uh, demographic group, I'm a, I'm a late-end baby boomer, mm -hmm. uh, that think that millennials, all they do is look at a phone. That's not been my experience. They love communicating, but just in a, lot of, in a lot of areas, they just haven't been engaged. And I think this emotional intelligence subject is kind of a tool in, in order to engage that demographic. Yeah, I think it's interesting you brought up the generations. I've, I've studied the generations and I talk to people and, and coach them at all levels, at all different generations, um, from traditionalists, the silent generation, to the baby boomers, to Gen X, to Gen Y, all the way to Gen Z. And it's fascinating because we will create uh, concepts thoughts around each of the generations and, and I speak to it. But I always like to say everybody's unique and different. Mm -hmm. Now, and with that being said, the reason people have the different beliefs is the environment and the time and the era that they grew up in. But our values and our beliefs are also connected to the family we grow up in. 
So it can be part of the generation, but it's also the environment we grew up in. What country, what culture? Did you grow up in a family of yellers and screamers where that was acceptable and that was okay? Uh, or was it a quiet, subdued family where everybody applied active listening all of the time, um, which I don't see too often. <laughs> but, but maybe people that were a little more cautious about speaking their mind and how they went about it. So our values and our beliefs and the environment we grew up in, as along with the generation, will directly reflect your emotional intelligence. And when you open up those forums and those conversations, people tend to have less frustration and judgment against each other because they understand each other more effectively. And, and my goal as a coach and a speaker is to motivate and inspire people to create that awareness and then understand where others are coming from so they can modify their behavior to work together more effectively. What, what that worries me about in my day-to-day -day life, trying to wrestle with these EQ concepts, is this something that I have to consciously think about in that way? Like part of practicing empathy is being like, wait, 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 that guy is a screamer because, so I need to take a step back and be okay with that. Like help me out. This is a question for both of you. Like how do we balance and is it just something we always consciously have to think about? I don't consciously think about it. It's just how I conduct myself uh, day to day. And I'm not perfect by uh, with it by any stretch of the imagination, um, but I am aware of people, and I'm aware of uh, they have different lives and different expectations. Um, they have um, different uh, outlooks in life. Um, some people can leave work and not think a thing about it till the next day. Others take their work home and kind of stress over it. We have it, it's it's the full circle, you know. And I have a team. One of my teams. I we were talking about frustration, and 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 projects can have some le levels of frustration. Kind of I kind of throw out this uh, math equation. It's E minus O equals F. Expectation minus observation equals frustration. And you can either eliminate frustration by lowering your expectation or helping improve what you're observing. And if, you, if your observation equals your expectation, you, there is no frustration. I love that. A part of emotional intelligence, I, I do believe you need to be consciously aware because there's a lot of moving pieces that come with communication that will affect our emotions. And as Fred was speaking, the two that popped into my mind were the assumptions and interpretations we make all the time without recognizing it. And when I do active listening workshops, I catch people in it all the time because an active listening workshop is focused on listening to the person and asking an open-ended question based on what they just said. And if you're not challenging yourself to be in the moment, you're too focused on your agenda or what you have to say next or how you'll overcome something. And in many cases, we make assumptions and interpretations that lead us down the wrong path and create our destiny. When you start becoming consciously aware of that communication, you're able to say, am I doing active listening? Did I just make an assumption? A lot of people don't see it happening because it's the norm for them. And where emotions come from are our thoughts. So we have to be aware of our thoughts. It goes thoughts, emotion, and reaction. Brenda, you're absolutely right. Excellent interpersonal communication skills are essential in emotional intelligence. And 
when I, when I talk about interpersonal communication skills, I'm talking mostly about listening to the people who are talking to me. And optics are everything. So if I've got distractions in front of me while I'm trying to listen to somebody, I may not hear what they say. My office is set up in such a way that if somebody comes into my office to talk to me, my computer is behind me, my phone is behind me, I don't see anybody but the individual who is in my office speaking with me, and I will hear everything they say, and I'm totally focused on them. I catch people when I do this workshop not recognizing how we react to things by our beliefs and our values that are deeply embedded. You know, and just a little simple example, I throw out little, little, uh, one phrase sentences and I let people start doing active listening and I'll just give you a little short example. I had I had a statement, hey I have to work this weekend. And so someone makes that statement, the next person has to op ask an open-ended question. And before they ask the open-ended question, the thought that went through their head was, well that's a bummer. You have to work over the weekend? Well how they responded made a difference because that thought went through their mind before they responded to the person and their thought was that's a terrible thing mm -hmm. funny enough the other person's thinking I don't mind working this weekend because I get paid overtime so that's a little short simple example but very often we're making assumptions and interpretations without realizing it and it will affect the dynamics of the communication and in ends the emotional intelligence can get involved and they all go hand in hand See, what that made me think of when you asked that was, really? Why? Like, before I made that judgment, I wanted to hear from them what their story was that they were, you know, because their answer could be, because I get to go in and get overtime. Or, well, because I decided to screw around on Wednesday and not go into work, so now I have a deadline on Monday. Or, my boss is a jerk and he made me go in. Like, there are so many different answers to that question that before I pass a judgment, I wanted to make sure I knew a little bit more about the story before I made my... Now, I don't know. I wonder if I have actually been working on... As part of my training from working with clients face-to-face, -face, that I've learned to not jump there because that inhibits my ability to make a smart, emotional, intelligent decision. Well, you probably have. I mean, project managers, as we're, you know, this whole conversation has been around, communication is key and essential. So to be an excellent project manager, you've probably worked on things without even recognizing them. But I challenge you and everyone that listens to this podcast to, to ask yourself, did I make an interpretation just now? Mm -hmm. What thought went through my mind before I responded to this person or this situation? Did I make an assumption? And how are my values and my beliefs, no matter what generation I'm from, playing a part in how I approach this person or this situation? Our big thanks to Fred and Brenda for joining us on this episode of Not Your CEO's Insights. We're looking forward to hearing from you next time.